Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Brother, one thing that you must understand is that when it comes to truth, it is singular. When it comes to truth, it is singular. What I mean by that is that there is only one truth. We live in an age, we call it the postmodern age. And what that basically means is, is that we've come to a time in the history of the world, in America especially, where people believe that whatever you believe is the truth. And so if you believe one thing and another person believes another thing, we can both be right. If I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and He is the one way to heaven, and another person believes that if you bow down to Buddha, you will one day make yourself into the place of the heavenlies, if you're good enough, and maybe you'll become a worm, and a dog, and a donkey, and a cow, and then you'll go up in different castes, then you too are correct. I want you to understand, Jesus does not speak in such terms. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He leaves no room for there to be any other way. And it is an illogical position to take, to think that there is more than one truth when one truth lends itself to being true. We may argue over what color the carpet is. But the truth is, is one person is right if we all have a different color. If Will says it's purple and Rich says it's blue and, and uh, Sue says it's fuchsia. So why would you go to fuchsia? Why would you do that? <clears throat> And Jackie says it's green. Well, guess what? Jackie's right. No matter what anybody else says. But in our world today, understand for every one truth, and again, there's only one, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of counterfeits. We could spend every teaching time speaking against against every false thing. And we would not reach the end. And so we can never be able to combat the untruths in this world by trying to speak the truth against each one. But we can know the truth and recognize what is untrue because we know the truth. Today we want to speak about false teaching, about false doctrine, about those things which we are to believe. By the way, everybody believes something. And everybody has faith in what they believe. An atheist is living by faith. They are not living 
according to what is seen with the eyes, they are living according to what cannot be seen. And I want you to know their faith is blind. (laughs) Our faith is based upon what is true. But when we speak, when we, when we speak against those things that are false, when we try to recognize those things that are false, the best way to go about it is not to try to read about every false thing. Because you'll never get to the end and you will become confused and apt to believe that which is false. We don't need to go into uh, immerse ourselves into the untruths of the cults of our nation in order to know that they're not true. The first time I spoke to a Jehovah Witness, he tried to convince me that Jesus is not God. I want you to know many sincere Christians may find themselves Wondering if they're not true because they don't know the truth of what the Bible says. There's no doubt you've seen this illustration before, but I'd be remiss not to do it. But the Secret Service has the responsibility of making sure that the currency of our nation is true. In other words, there's no counterfeits. And uh, if you've never heard this, it's quite interesting. The way that they teach the Secret Service to be able to to catch counterfeit bills is not to place thousands of different ways in which counterfeiters have made those bills. But their job is to know as much about the bill as possible. They study the one true thing. And if you were to find somebody who works in that part of the Secret Service and they look at counterfeits, they very quickly can catch a counterfeit. You know why? Because they know what the dollar bill looks like. They know what the bill looks like. By the way, this is interesting too in our point, but do you know which counterfeits are the most prominent and most successful in the currency of our nation? Do you think it's the $100 bill or the $1 bill? Why do you think it's the $1 bill? There's so many, right? And who cares? Right? It's just a dollar. I mean, we don't want counterfeits, but if anybody's going to put a counterfeit out there, what does a dollar mean? Right? That's just one thing on the value menu at McDonald's, or at least it used to be, not anymore. Well, that's interesting because God tells us in the book of Proverbs that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the things that we are off on a little bit that can often ruin the rest. And so God wants us to know the truth in order for us to very quickly be able to recognize what is not true. And so in 1 Timothy, we have the first exhortation that Paul gives to this young minister who's left here um, in Ephesus to be able to uh, to be able to, to to minister and to work, and I want you to notice what he says in First Timothy chapter one, starting in verse three. 
As I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than gather the edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for holy and, and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to my trust. Let's pray together. And we'll, we'll look at this exhortation of Paul and the Lord for us today. Father, I do pray that you would guide my lips today that I might not speak anything that is untrue. That you would keep me from speaking anything that would be what you would not have me to speak, whether, whether it's because of truth or timing or the way in which I might say it. But help me to speak forth thy truth. And may you use these things to change our lives today and to give us a greater understanding of the truth that you have given us in your precious word. Thy word is truth. And may we believe it. And I pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. In every age, there has been those things that are not true. Now, whenever somebody believes something, when they become zealous about it, they want other people to believe it also. And so if someone believes something that is false, the thing that they are going to give their life to until they understand that it's false is to let others know that those, that what they have to say is what we ought to believe or you ought to believe too. And so falsehood, false doctrine, those things that are untrue are going to be prominent, prominent in the world. Because people are going to want to convince others that what they believe is true. It is going to be prominent. When a person comes to say, you know what, I really believe that this thing, it's not true, it's unbiblical, but I believe it's true, you can be sure that at some point they're probably going to start a blog. Now, if you don't know what a blog is, it's somebody bloviating, it's someone getting on the internet and typing something up in order to, to get it out there and get people to believe. But, um, there's uh, something on our website called By, By Word. is a lamp under my feet. Um, it's uh, I'll, about once a month. Um, take something that we've been learning in the, in the Scriptures and try to write it out and put it on the Internet. Um, and I put it on there because I believe it is true. And I, and I know if it's the Word of God, it is. But, brethren, you could go on the Internet today and 
put in what we're going to talk about today, and you can get 5 million hits. And you could spend the rest of the day, tomorrow, and the rest of your life reading about what people believe. And you can be sure that there are plenty of evangelists who want to teach false doctrine. There's no doubt about that. They want to teach false doctrine and pull as many people in to believing what they believe. Today, I'd like to, to, to look at this passage and show you how we can get a good grip on what's true. We need to understand what God says is true. And what He has said, He has given us in the Bible, and the Bible alone. If you know what the Bible says, you can know what God says. And if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you can understand what God says. It's so important that we understand what God says. Because any person who opens their mouth to speak for God can speak wrong. By the way, that starts with me. That's why the book of Acts tells us that these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they heard the word from the apostles, by the way. They heard the word they were with readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. They made sure that was what, what the apostles were saying were scriptural. And the more you know your Bible, the more easily you will be able to catch a counterfeit. The more easily you know that is wrong. And it's important that we do that because believe me, people are going to want to try to tell you what they believe in order to convert you to their belief. And I want you to know there's great harm to believing what is not true. We'll see that in a moment. But I'd like you to see what characterizes the truth. What will lead us to saying, you know what, that's true. It's in the Bible, I believe it, and it leads to this. Three things. And by the way, if you want to see where we're going, you can check on the back of your bulletin and you'll see um, where we're going. But number one, I want you to notice three things that will help us to understand, you know what, this is good. This is the truth. And so, Paul says to Timothy, and he's saying these things to us today, Starting in verse 3, I besought thee that abide still at Ephesus, when I went in Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which ministers questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. God's word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be freely furnished, Perfect unto all good works. What do I mean? God's Word will edify. The word edify means to build up. It, mean, it has to do with our sanctification and becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. If it does not edify, it is false. In this case, he says, if it ministers questions, if it's not for godly edifying, if it, all it does is gets people to think, boy, that's some kind of really 
high-minded type of thing. I wonder if I should believe that. If it just gets a person to ask question after question after question, if it has nothing to do with helping us to grow in the Lord and becoming more like Jesus and what we believe, And what we do as Christians, you can be sure it's not true. How are we going to understand whether or not it edifies? Well, Paul gives us three principles. Number one, it will lead to charity, greater love. If the doctrine leads us to not loving the way that God loves us, they're very likely untrue. God's doctrine will lead to love, the love that God has for us. The doctrine of God will lead to edifying and therefore it will lead to charity or love. Number two, it will lead a person to have a good conscience. In other words, if you hear something and you say, whoa, that sounds off. That does the, inside, I don't feel right about that. I don't feel right about that. And you know what? Very likely, almost 100% of the time, it's untrue. I remember the first time I heard a man pray in tongues. By the way, Paul said, I will pray with the understanding. I will pray. I will sing with the understanding. I will pray with the understanding. In other words, when Paul prayed, he was understood. When I first heard a man pray in tongues, I'm not, I, I was a new Christian. I've never even really heard about that before. But all of a sudden, for 30 seconds, things started coming out of his mouth that I did not understand. It was no language that I'd ever heard. He wasn't trying to pray so other people could understand what he was saying. He was praying something that nobody understood. All of a sudden, I said, whoa, wait a second. That is very strange. I felt something within me. The same type of feeling I feel and have felt when I was faced with doing something wrong. That's our conscience. You know what conscience is? It is a gift of God that uh, none of His creation has except for human beings. Dogs don't have a conscience. Horses don't have a conscience. The Bible doesn't even give the indication that angels have a conscience. But we do. And when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And He sensitizes our conscience to where we are able to understand more about what God believes is true. You see, our conscience is is the part of our spirit that confirms things that are right and rejects things that are wrong. And we feel it on the inside, don't we? Have you ever had your conscience make you feel something? You were about to do something and your conscience said no. You were about to say something and your conscience said no. You were about to do something and your conscience gave you full assurance that what you were about to say was the right thing to say. The, the conscience that God has given us is a precious gift. And one of the reasons why is because it, a good conscience 
will lead us to understand what is untrue. And so if something comes out of my mouth, this has happened, by the way. I've said something, and someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, that, I don't feel good about that. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? What do they mean by that? What I mean, their conscience is telling them, you know what, I'm not, that, what, what you just heard doesn't line up with my conscience. I, I, I don't know if that's right. There have been times where I've said, you know what, after looking at it, you're right. I, 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 I didn't say it. I didn't, I didn't, I said it. What I said was wrong. What I said was wrong. Or I've said, you know, I, I know what I said, and what I said I meant, but I didn't mean it the way you heard it. <laughs> I didn't mean it the way you heard it. But praise the Lord for our conscience, amen? As you listen to preachers, they are going to say things that sometimes are wrong, but a good conscience will recognize it. A good conscience will recognize it. By the way, it's important for us to have a good conscience. The Bible says our conscience can be seared. Meat that's seared is no longer sensitive. Our conscience can be seared to where we cannot recognize right from wrong. God doesn't want any of our consciences to be insensitive. He wants our consciences to be sensitive. And so God will... will if, if it's doctrine and, and it's true doctrine, it will lead to charity, it will lead to a good conscience, and it will lead to unfeigned faith. So many people start off in cults, and they will say they believe it, but they really don't. In fact, their faith is fake. Unfeigned means it's not fake. I've talked to many people, and they, they'll tell, they say, I've heard this 50 times. I'm a Catholic, but I don't believe what they believe. Well, what does that mean? That means you have a fake faith. It's not, un, it's, it's feigned. It's not unfeigned. In other words, you hear it, in order to be a, a, in order to be part of the church, you have to say you believe it, and so you do. You say, I believe that. If you, were, if you were to speak to your priest as a Catholic and they, and they ask you, do you believe that the blood and body of the, of the Lord's Supper or the communion table is the Lord, blood, and body of Jesus? You'd say yes. Why would you say that? Because you have to. But in your heart of hearts, you know, I don't really believe that. It's fake, right? Many... Mormons will believe much of what the Mormons say, and then they'll. By the way, the Mormons believe, as you get into it, that Jesus is God, but He's a little God. He's the God of this part of the universe. But if you're a good Mormon and you live the way Jesus did, one day you could possibly. Be a God like Jesus was. You can be a little God. Now, you hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel in a Mormon church. You'll say, that sounds good. I believe that. And even, 
even believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved. <laughs> but if you heard that as a Christian, you'd say, wait a second. That can't be right. I mean, no way, right? No way. I'm not going to be a little God at some point. The truth is, is that we need to be careful that we don't get into a place where we say, I have to believe that in order to be part of a church, but I don't really believe it. I say I do, but I don't really. You see, God's doctrines lead us to say, I don't have to fake it. I believe that 100%. I believe that 100%. That's not fake with me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe He rose from the dead proving He's God. I believe that He is all in all in everything. I believe that the Bible's true. I believe that, uh, that the Bible is perfectly true. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not fake. I believe it. I'm not trying to work it up. I'm not telling you what you think you should, what I think you want to hear. I believe it. That's faith unfeigned, right? By the way, I don't want anybody to tell me they believe something when they don't. Because it's just a fake faith. It's just a fake faith. And it's meaningless. Faith that's fake is not faith at all. Amen? It's just, it's just trying to say something in order to please man. But if it's true, we can believe it 100%. So take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. He went there in verse 8, the Scripture says, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And so God is telling us here that above all things, that means that What we believe, that's doctrine, by the way. The word doctrine means what we believe. If above all things we have have charity, either God means one of two things. If doctrine does not lead to the charity that God is speaking of here, if God wants us to believe something that does not lead to love, remember he says above all things, then that means that doctrine is unimportant and we should discard it if it doesn't lead to love, or it means that every doctrine will lead us to love. Right? That make sense? If above all things, we need to have charity. Now believe me, some Christians believe, hey, if it's not, if, if it doesn't lead you to be any good with one another and, and, and uh, we can just kind of get together and sing a few songs, we can hear a pastor talk about a few things, but doctrine's not important. We don't want doctrine because doctrine divides. There are many people that believe that the doctrines of the Bible need to be discarded because it doesn't lead to love. Now that's what, that God, if God is saying that, then He would make that clear that doctrine's not important. Don't worry about it. Yes, I say things in the Bible, but it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you can get together with people and sing and have a nice time and we can all leave and we can sing Kumbaya, right? That could be what it means, but I promise you it's not. What that means is this. 
every one of the doctrines of God, if believed correctly and applied correctly to our lives, will lead us not to hating, but leading us to loving. Which means this, not that we feel great and nice about each other, but that we're willing to do what's best for one another, even at our own sacrifice. Every doctrine of the Bible will lead us to doing what is best for the other person, even at our own sacrifice. The doctrine of marriage, does that lead to love, or does does it lead us to, to discarding the doctrine of marriage? Of course, the doctrine of marriage leads us to love, right? Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. No, every doctrine in the Bible, if believed correctly and applied the way it should be, will lead a person to greater love. Love for God and love for each other. By the way, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what that is? Doctrine. Above all, charity. True doctrine will lead to charity. It will lead us to love. False doctrine will not. Number two, it will lead to a good conscience. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. Now, the word conscience, and we'll see that it's not translated conscience here, but our conscience approves what's right, discards what's wrong. Alright? Our conscience approves what's right, discards what's wrong. A person with no conscience has no understanding of right and wrong. But notice what the scripture says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now listen. That you may prove or approve what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, as we are not conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the way, that means we need to put something in our mind. Do you know what we're supposed to put in our mind? The Bible. As we put the Word of God in our mind, we will be able to approve what's good, what's right, what's acceptable, what the perfect will of God is. Well, guess what He's given us to be able to do that? Once we put in our minds what the truth is, we'll have a good conscience, right? We'll have a good conscience to approve its truth. You say, you know what? That is true. I've got no problem with that at all. That is approved of me. I've got no qualms. I don't feel bad about it. I don't have to overcome something. I feel, I know that that's right. Now, I'm not talking about the feelings we have um, and emotions and things like that, but I'm talking about the feeling we get within us by our conscience. And it is a feeling. It has to do with our, uh, the Scripture talks about our bowels of mercies. There's a feeling within us with our conscience. And you know what it feels like. Amen? Um, if you look there in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, <clears throat> the Scripture says in 
verse 20. Despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. He's saying, listen, make sure that you approve doctrine. In other words, when, when we hear what we're supposed to believe, and God wants us to believe what we're supposed to believe, that our conscience will approve it. Amen? Our conscience will approve it. We have a good conscience. And then faith unfeigned. It doesn't have to be fake. It's real. Good, uh, true doctrine will lead us to not having to say we believe something, but we really don't. It'll lead us to say, you know what, I believe that. I believe it with no qualms. I, I believe it 100%. That's true. Second um, Timothy chapter chapter 1 and verse 5. First Timothy, in chapter 1, verse 5, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Second Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, there are, When I recall to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and my mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Is it possible to tell when somebody says they believe something, but they really don't believe it? Is it possible to tell? Is it possible to tell when your children are trying to pull the wool over your eyes? Sure. Right? It's possible to tell when a person says, I believe something, but they really don't. Well, it's interesting that Timothy's grandmother and his mother we find in other places, taught him the Bible. And guess what? Timothy believed it. And when Paul met Timothy, and Timothy said, I believe the Bible, Paul didn't say, you know what? I'm really not sure you believe it. I think you may be faking it. There are many people in churches who do not believe the gospel. They say they do, but they don't. Their faith is not really persuasive. <laughs> it's not persuasive. But Paul said, your faith is unfeigned. Look what he says. When I call to remembrance the unfaith faith that is in thee, I remember what you believe, what you said you believed, and it's not fake. And then at the end he says, and I am persuaded that it's in me also. Your mother has unfeigned faith. Your grandmother has unfeigned faith. And I am persuaded, I am 100% assured, that you have unfeigned faith as well. You believe it. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 6, the Scripture says, very, uh, you've probably heard this verse before, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so if we believe, if we have an unfeigned faith, a true belief in God, what will we do? We will seek him. What do you think persuaded Paul that Timothy had unfeigned faith? What do you think it was? I'll tell you what it was. He sought after God. He sought after God. A person who seeks after God 
the God of the Bible, the true God of all creation, who made all things, and who is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, a person who truly believes, will give their life to knowing God. That's what will persuade, and that's the most persuasive thing about our faith, is we seek God. God doesn't want us to have unfeigned faith. He wants us to have true faith. Real quick, number two, false doctrine destroys. And I'd like to go through these four things quickly. Number one, it makes no sense. False doctrine will so often make no sense at all. People, people, you have to say, I don't know if I can wrap my brain around that one. Right? I, I just don't know if I can understand that. What you're saying, I understand your words, but it's like vain jangling. It's like, it's like, it doesn't, it's like we're talking and it's like blah, 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 blah. Often, false doctrine does not mesh and makes no sense. For example, when you get saved, it doesn't matter what you do. You can sin as much as you want. Because you're saved, and nothing can take away your salvation. By the way, that's been a doctrine from the time of the Bible. Paul himself speaks about it in Romans. It doesn't make any sense. Does it make sense in your heart of hearts? If you get saved, it doesn't matter what you do. Sleep around, that's no problem. Get drunk every night, who cares? But the Bible says we're sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Just do whatever you feel like, even if your conscience tells you no. If you want to do it, do it, and uh, just go on. Does that make sense? Paul said, God forbid it. That doesn't make any sense. Are you crazy? Come on now, right? You see, false doctrine will so often make no sense at all. In fact, a person has to jump through hoops to believe it. <laughs> in order to get to a place where they say, yeah, I believe that. Number two, it leads to terrible sorrow. Because false doctrine will rip apart so often the gospel. To where how can a person ever have trust in the time after this world? First Thessalonians tells us to not sorrow as others sorrow. Why? Because there's heaven. And I know I'm going there. But so often, false doctrine leads us to say this. Maybe I'll go there. Maybe I won't. I'm not sure. I hope so. But true doctrine leads to assurance. And where there's assurance, there's no sorrow if we're assured that we're going to a perfect place with a perfect God and where we will be perfect. (laughs) Where all our tears will be wiped away. Where there's no more sorrow, neither death. False doctrine rips that to shreds. False doctrine leads to great sorrow. False doctrine doctrine leads to terrible sins. We talked about this. True doctrine will lead us to becoming more and more like Jesus. Not in fakery, but in reality. And false doctrine will lead us to a life where we have no qualms with sin. And then finally, false doctrine dooms to hell. Now, not everything that we 
might believe falsely will doom us to hell, but so much will. You see, if a man believes and is and they do as good as they can in this world, because they know if they're really, really good, if they're really, really good, they'll be a God in another world someday. Guess what? That doctrine dooms to hell. You know, I really enjoy reading a lot of what Glenn Beck has to say. He's a Mormon. And he, he went from a man who was a drunk to a man who was not a drunk. And he, he'll tell you, he's got a, a, a conversion story that is truly remarkable. I, I, it's really, really is. But if he believes that his great influence in America today is going to allow him one day to be a god somewhere else, I want you to know, one day he's not going to go to heaven, he's going to go to hell. Because he is living based upon good works and not upon the reality of the gospel. Which brings us to our last point. Every true gospel is founded upon, every true doctrine is founded upon the gospel. No doctrine that's true will put one chink in the gospel. And that's why Paul said at the end of our passage, if you look there, 1 Timothy in verse 11, 1 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. You see, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, that your only way to heaven is through and by Him, that there's nothing you can do to get to heaven because you are a sinner and no sinner can enter in. But Jesus died for your sin. I want you to know this. Jesus died for your sin to take all the sins you've ever committed and to make them as far as the east is from the west, to bury them in the deepest sea, to wash you as white as snow. You see, if you believe that, I want you to know you're going to heaven. And no doctrine you can believe from the Bible will take a chink out of that. But, if you're here today and you say, I don't believe that. I don't believe Jesus died for me. Or if He did, He's not really my only way to heaven. I believe I've been pretty good. So God's going to let me in. I want you to know He's not going to let you in. He's not. Because the only way He's going to let you in is if you are as perfect as Jesus. And I promise you, you're not. But all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The righteousness of Christ will be placed upon you. And you will made be made, literally made, perfect for heaven. 